This is the Ampere Industrial Security Critical Assets Podcast. Each episode, we cover important OT and ICS security topics with an eye towards standards and regulation to keep you ahead of your adversaries and your auditors. Hi, everyone. Today with us, I've got Carter Manusi. He's with uh, Florida Power Municipal Agency. I'll let him in- introduce himself in just a minute. But today, we're going to talk about the INSM order from FERC that recently came out. And Carter, tell us a little about yourself, and then I'm just going to kind of pepper you with questions about this order. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Carter Manusi, Florida Municipal Power Agency, um, the OTI, o- ITOT Cybersecurity Director there for, oh, it's been a little while. I've been with FMPA for almost 28 years. Um, wow. So I've been doing this NERC thing um Pretty much right around version three started my uh, my my introduction to this wonderful world, uh, and ever since then have been involved from uh, many different gamuts, uh, SIPC involvement, regional development uh, involvement, uh, development of standards, um, the whole nine. Of course, everybody loves to comment, so I've been part of those too. But also corralling folks and you know trying to make sure that we're all rowing the same direction when it comes to a public power perspective on uh, standards. Yes, I've seen your work, and I want to thank you for all the stuff you've done, both for the SIP standards in general, and of course for the municipal, you know, power authorities as well. Thanks, oh, sir. Well, no, and, and many thanks because it's been it's been a long haul. We've been doing this NERC SIP thing for a while, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, I've seen your name in so many awesome places that have been beneficial to just the standards, you know, making them better, making them, um, I, I guess with security in mind and also with compliance in mind. So I just wanted to give you a shout out for all the awesome stuff that you've done for the industry. I appreciate that. It's always better to do something that's practical instead of checking boxes, but I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of checking boxes, um, we have this INSM order from FERC that just came out and we've both spent a lot of time, you know, looking at FERC orders, responding to FERC orders, seeing how FERC orders turn out. So first of all, let's just start with, what is INSM? What, what does this mean to, you know, your average utility out there trying to figure out what did FERC just tell NERC to do? So <laughs> INSM, kind of in a nutshell. Thanks. So the INSM, that uh, stands for, we love our acronyms, right? This is uh, yet another one, Internal Network Security Monitor. Um, so if you think about uh, network traffic in general, stuff that's happening on, on your systems, this is what we consider like an east-west traffic. Um, North-south is typically what you would have with a a firewall or an ESP, the electronic service uh, security parameters that you um, you might be accustomed to. But these take these devices uh, are not firewalls. <clears throat> they actually take uh, traffic from network switches or other ways to collect it on your network and watch traffic that's happening between devices that's perhaps behind a firewall, maybe even not. Um, so, you know, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with a lot of these things because you know, uh, there's taps and spans and different ways of, of collecting the data, but just think of it as a read-only way of viewing traffic on your system uh, that they can go and analyze. Um, now, of course, everything I say, it's a little caveat because everybody does something a little differently, and I'm trying to be very agnostic to the any particular vendor technology, what have you. So um, there may be ways that, you know, some, some may, may do it different ways, but in general, um, and they can also be used for non-security data analytics, um, such as sending device configuration changes or seeing those, look at firmware updates that are go across the network, um, determine what devices are communicating with other ones, uh, maybe give you asset discovery, network visualization. But all of these things also, in, you know, they, they understand industrial protocols uh, when you do an 
<clears throat> in an OT network. Um, and that's what the focus of this INSM is for from FERC, because obviously we're looking at SIP standards, we're looking at the electric industry. So uh, usually the ones that are beneficial to us understand those things. So what does INSM, like I, I hear it on all those things, it's looking at east-west traffic. What does it cover that's not already covered by the SIP standards? I mean, they've got stuff at the perimeter already. They've got stuff at the on the individual systems inside the network. And you know, arguably, they've even got some east-west stuff with the antivirus kind of components, especially if you like trunk those through a firewall or something like that, because many do, because you can't get antivirus agents on everything in the network. Uh, so what does this give us that we don't already have in the standards? Right. So these uh, these things are not firewalls, like I said. Um, they're designed to alert and not necessarily block traffic. So they give us some visibility when uh, you may not have, uh, you may have a compromised device. Um, there's, you know, concern around a compromised ESP. Um, and these would give you that ability to see something behind your standard firewalls. But it looks at, if you have it right, it looks at your entire network traffic everything end to end. So it's things that can't have uh, your antivirus on them, uh, things that can't have agents on them, uh, you know, PLCs, controllers, uh, SCADA controllers, uh, all these things that, you know, <clears throat> they're they're simple devices and they may be communicating in a way that they think is correct because they're being told to do something. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, I think, the big difference that you're looking for. Okay, so I'm thinking like... Um... From an anomaly detection perspective, sending a command that would otherwise look legitimate, but for some other reason, based on conditions, would not be a good thing, like a stop command to a PLC during the wrong situation. Right, exactly. So those okay. those types of uh, anomalous behaviors are what these things are looking for. Okay, so things that are kind of outside the normal realm of detection, because we got a lot of other, I mean, we got like the malware detection at the firewall, we've got it at the devices themselves. So this is looking for things that are beyond that, like maybe a configuration change or a use of accounts that shouldn't be used or. You can certainly know. have those things in there, um, okay. but also you have to keep in mind that um, sometimes your, uh, your adversaries, if they are in your network, um, maybe just very slowly gathering data. So they may be probing wow. things without you even realizing it or knowing it, or, they may be using a encrypted channel to come back to their mothership, which uh, you may be allowing because it is something that you believe is legitimate. Okay. Um, or maybe, you know, hiding with a vendor or something like that. So. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. All right. Okay, cool. I think we got a good picture for what INSM is and what it does and what benefit we get above the SIP standards, I guess. Um, let's see. FERC, why do you think FERC need, thinks we need this right now? I mean, what 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 do you, what's the catalyst for FERC pushing for this right now? Well, there's there's the uh, the the old adage. Well, that's old now to us in security industry. Uh, solar wind, solar wind, solar winds, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's I think that's the overarching thing. And you know that if you think about it from a congressional um, push, you know, hey, are we doing things um, that the NOPER in general? You know, they they say, hey, we've got gaps in our SIP requirements. Uh, we have the ESPs uh, for high and medium impacts, but we don't they don't have any monitoring. Uh, you know, inside the actual network, uh, like you said, we do have it on specific devices, antivirus, those types of things. But those uh, those are generally more in your high impact control centers where those are more PC-like things, right? So we don't necessarily have that out in the field for a lot of our, our OT assets per se. Um, they may not exist in a control systems environment because those are you know much more controlled 
Windows PCs talking to PLCs or something along those natures. Um, we also have, you know, the note reporting to the standard practice guide that was issued in 2011. Uh, that practice guide was in response to the 100 day sprint that we had. And there was a, uh, a real push for some more network monitoring to happen at that point in time, right? Yeah. So entities were real concerned. How, how is an auditor going to handle what this thing is? Um, yeah. So that practice guide helped explain some of the uh, the expectations and guardrails. Um, and then you know that 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 was mentioned as one of the ben- one of the benefits in that practice guide was the use of these internal network security monitors. And I think FERC was listening to that as well. Okay. I, I I had almost forgot about that practice guide. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I've also seen the same language in like, well, of course, the NOPR came out about a year ago, almost to the day um, from for kind of giving us a heads up this was coming. But also about a year before that, it was in the National Security Memorandum from Biden. That's right. We've seen this um, historically through a number of different avenues. Uh, you, you know, we, we've seen it with uh, the the section 1600 data requests that we did looking for yes. more information on supply chain risks and everything else. So, you know, this, a lot of this all originates from risk to the supply chain and uh, an ever increasing threat landscape. And are we doing enough? Uh, you know, and, and that's, I guess, uh, let's jump forward a little bit, but um, you know, that's, that's really where I think a lot of this is coming from. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I know FERC thinks we need it and it sounds like, um, you know, that, that, Biden administration thinks we need it. I expect it something like this to also be in the upcoming national security strategy thingy that's coming out um, as well. So I, given that it's kind of been everywhere, I'm not surprised that we're seeing it from FERC. Um, but this, a lot of this stuff happens at that layer uh, kind of based on things like knee-jerk reactions, I'll be honest, to things like solar winds. Uh, we got SIP 13 from a knee-jerk reaction to Metcalf. We're probably going to get some more physical stuff and result to the, you know, to the distribution physical attacks that have been happening. We're already seeing those things, you know, the, the kind of the machineries kind of moving in that direction already. Is this just another knee-jerk reaction or is this something we really need? I mean, is this something that like is truly a gap in our visibility and our in our coverage or is that let me ask a different way is the security juice worth the squeeze here <laughs> i love that <laughs> so i'm going to give you the response i i hear from a lot of my legal colleagues uh more than i want to and it depends um I you know what is it really right <laughs> what does it depend on uh you know how good is your security culture uh what is your track record like yeah um you know do you have any way of monitoring traffic now that doesn't you know cross that security uh boundary um, how tight are your security controls? Um, how much visibility do you have on your networks? Uh, how can how secure are those communication links that you have inside your own ESP? Um, I'd really say there's really no one size fits all answer here, but uh, I think it's the intent to set a new bar. Uh, and, and I argue because we've of this because of the SIP standards, the electricity sector hasn't seen the number of attacks that other industries have been facing. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of us could probably agree that the the number and quality of the attacks on the internet networks and in our digital lives even is on an upward trajectory. So yeah. if we're not improving, that means we're falling behind, right? Yeah. And I guess another way, I, I've had some conversations and another way that they described thinking about this was, we've done a pretty good job of securing the stuff in the electric sector, such a good job that we're now, you know, having to go this far to get additional visibility. So I guess- yeah. I guess it's a good security problem to have. Um, 
sort of. Yeah. <laughs> it does mean I, a lot of work. Yeah, um, it, it does mean a lot of work. And and like you said, solar winds, right? How did how would we have possibly detected that? And I I would argue till till I'm till I'm dead that uh, I don't think anybody would have caught that with any uh even the largest budgets out there probably couldn't have caught that without having some yeah. some real special talent uh looking at that. And and I'm I'm you know, we're we're not that type of a an industry. We don't have the the creme de la creme. We're not, you know, um uh, security agents at at uh, at Amazon trying to protect all of these wonderful things. Um, you know, we're we're utilities, and we do this as best yeah. we can with the resources we've got. Right. Well, I mean, municipal municipalities, like your world in particular, has got a very difficult problem with they are they're. I mean, be honest, they're cash strapped in a lot of ways, and frankly, the utility, the electric utility, the water utility, is often kind of the you know the cash cow for the rest of the municipality and in, in you know no uncertain terms the investor-owned utilities granted they may have more money but they have a, a regulated rate of return so they can they can only make so much profit in the process and a lot of their you know where their budgets go is it's not as visible as yours through the sunshine laws but it's still pretty open and disclosed in terms of what they're spending to the state regulators and various other oversight components. So, um, you know, utilities just don't have an enormous amount of, you know, disposable income to spend on these things. So I, I totally agree. We're not really funded to, to fight off nation state level adversaries. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, given that they, they're the situation the utilities are in, we kind of just described, you know, what, what it looks like for them in terms of their current capabilities, at least generally, what do you think they should be doing next to get ready for this order? So like, what's the immediate stuff they should be doing? If, if anything immediate, then like maybe six months to a year out, what should they be doing? And then of course that two to three year window, when this thing is going to be effective and possibly auditable, what is like auditability look like? So run through that spectrum of time with me from a, what, if, if, if you were going to do this at your, your utility and you had the, we'll just, let's pretend you had the budget and the people, what would you be doing? <laughs> right. So you know, if, if you don't have something now, like like one of these uh, INSMs now, uh, and you have a high and medium impact cyber systems, um, I'd start looking at your network, uh, both from a logical perspective uh, as well as a technology perspective. Um, meaning that figure out where you would you would you know conceivably collect traffic from, uh, what devices you have that would be capable of collecting that, and then you know um, what could be sending traffic into this device to monitor, but. You know, by the way, don't forget that um, uh, you got to make sure the devices can handle it too. Sometimes we have antiquated switching devices or, or yeah. you know, other network things, and then they get they would just fall over if you put a whole lot of traffic on them. Um, so just you know, keep that in mind um, and talk to your OEMs and, and, and vendors to see what else they might have that might you know work for you, your control system, your environment, what have you. Um, but there's some really long lead times right now on equipment. So okay. sometimes up to a year or, or or maybe even more with some stuff. And if there's a sudden rush to market, I don't think our supply chain is going to react very well to that. So we have to put all these things in place. And if we think about budget cycles and everything else, especially with municipals uh, and, and some of these uh, trying to figure out, okay, well, if I got to do an RFP and then I've got to buy the equipment and procure it, and then I've got to do this and do that, you might be looking at a two to three year uh, runway here. Um, yeah. So these are the types of things to look at up front. Um, I'd also suggest talking to some of these vendors out there that, that currently have these types of platforms and get a feel for what they do, understand how their technology might work or, or impact your requirements. Um, so that you can start supporting it and get a better idea of where you might need to be in the future with these things. Um, 
And personally, I like network taps over other technologies, but yeah, you should I really make too. sure, huh? I do yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should make sure that you're, uh, you know, those, those things can, that they can support your network. Uh, you understand the impacts that they may or may not have on you uh, and make sure that, that fundamentally, what do you, how are you going to tackle this problem? You know, which way are you going to go? Um, you know, I, and I, I'm a firm believer that if you put all this network infrastructure in place now, um, you can be agnostic to the device that is actually doing the the, the analysis for you later. So you could plug in, uh, you know, vendor A today, and you know that doesn't work out so well for you. You can just go plug in vendor B. You don't have to change the infrastructure out for all this stuff. Oh, um, you've already got that, you know, ready to go. So these are the types of things you can start doing now that won't necessarily affect what true, you know. Uh, vendor analysis platform you're using in the end. Um, but yeah, really looking at um, how, how you might be able to architect your network too would be the next the next phase. Uh, you know, do you zone it? Do you segment it? Do you try to create um, more effective choke points? Uh, of course, then we have to be careful with that too to make sure that we don't adversely affect reliability by you know throwing too much um, IT security on things. Uh, everybody loves that when we, when we go right. down those roads. Um, <laughs> but yeah, start having those conversations now, be better prepared for them. Um, start talking with your leadership, uh, at your utility, make sure that they're aware that these things can get expensive, but, oh, by the way, there are grants that can have help, uh, with these too. So talk with your, uh, trade organizations, um, find out what opportunities your state may have something that could help you. Um, you know, start having those conversations now because again, these have long runways to, you know, it's not something you can just go rush out and check a box and, you know, open the package tomorrow and throw it in. Um, yeah, they especially have, if you're going for grants, I mean, that's yeah, additional yep. overhead and lead time as well. Yep. And if you're going to install something in a, uh, say a generation or transmission facility, um, Ooh. those can take outages sometimes to get them to work right. <laughs> yes. So, you know, get on those schedules. Um, so by the time you put all of these, Gantt charts together, you know, <laughs> that's a long Gantt chart to stare down. It, it um, yeah. but, but certainly uh, talk to other utilities, find out what they're doing. Um, and and I'd, I'd throw in a plug for going to places like S4. Um, there's a lot of really smart people down there you can discuss right. these topics with. Yeah, and, S4 uh, and, uh, and the SANS ICS Summit coming up as well. So that's right. those would be good places to have that conversation. That's right. But, uh, you know, when you start asking about what compliance looks like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's crystal ball time for me. Um, well, so <laughs> what do you think? What, how about this? What do you think? How is that practice guide going to, I guess, influence or impact the way the auditors will approach this? Because in theory, that is endorsed guidance that, you know, should be followed and could, uh, you know, I think, in, I, I don't, I think it's impossible that it would have zero influence, I guess. But what, what are mm -hmm. your thoughts? So the, the practice guide talks through different technologies because as we as we talked about through this whole process, there's different ways to 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 enact these types of devices. Um, some may have clients that are actually on the devices and they you know they probe and then they send data back. Others are you know through network taps, so they're more passive. Um, but you have to be careful with what that device is and where it sits. And they talk about that in the practice guide. Yeah, because you could easily put this device and and quickly have it classify as an electronic access controller monitoring system, ECOMS, right? Yeah. And then you got a whole nother problem on your hands. So be careful about that and think about that when you implement these things, um, whether or not it becomes a BES cyber asset. Um, if it has any um, BS cyber system information on it that you need to be careful to protect, where is that data going? Who's looking at it? Can it be anonymized if you're sharing it? 
all of those types of things come into play um, when you talk about um, compliance. But I think we also have, um, you know, some hints uh, with current SIP requirements. Um, you know, like SIP 7, maybe check out R424344. You may have some yeah. some hints in there as to what you might be doing with the same type of device. Um, but, uh, you know, evidence collection-wise, I could certainly see having these things as part of an instant response plan, um, you know, and, and, and putting that as part of that whole thing. So when you, when you execute those, you keep this as evidence too. Um, but, you know, it, showing network configurations, maps, topologies, documents, you know, where they are, that's mm -hmm. certainly going to be part of a compliance uh, requirement, I think. Okay. And what do you think about something like an, a level two request on the ERT looking for maybe a sample of some of this log data? Because in the order they state, you're basically supposed to be doing packet captures. You know. Yep. Yep. And some of these devices, they do do real time um, network uh, captures. Kind of like a um, it, Yeah. I mean, like some of the ones that are out there now, you can go and you can say, okay, um, you know, show me all the data on the network, you know, for the last two days or whatever. And you got a finite amount of space. You're not going to be capturing years worth of, of data on those things, but, you know, uh, 30, 60, 90 days, maybe. Yeah. Um, but you should certainly be able to pull that data out. So, Think about that when you install it, but again, it'll probably be to the capability of the device. So, yeah. you know, if if vendor B doesn't do network captures, you can't be required to produce them. Um, although they that doesn't stop them from asking for them. So true, true. And even then, like the um the requirements for collecting logs, if you have to have up to like 90 days of logs, and it doesn't they they've allowed that to be requested at audit so you can get that window and you're not gonna have to. Because there's this weird situation where the audit freeze date can be a little bit, you know, before <laughs> your audit date, and you may run past your 90-day clock on the the buffer. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping they factor that in when they actually do the drafting team. But kind of all bets are off until we get some drafts to look at. And it's, I mean, they they had a 15-month window to get this done. That's pretty fast. A uh, 15-month window, and then don't forget the 12-month uh, lead time on whether or not it gets pushed to lows, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what, speaking of that, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, for medium without ERC and for low, um, yeah, tell, tell me what you think, and then I'll tell you, tell you my thoughts on my, my bet. <laughs> so let's start with a basic question, um, and I'm going to say the answer is probably some when it gets pushed to low impact. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we follow the path of how things have gone for low impact over the past, past few years, um, you can see a constant push for doing more than we're currently doing. Yes. Um, the Section 1600 data request that came out a few years ago uh, led the staff report on supply chain um, risks that can't be ignored. Then we had the whole low impact criteria review um, uh, paper that came out on supply chain risks for low impact um, as that follow up directed by the NERC board. And, and I... I sense a connectivity here between that report and FERC Snoper. Mm -hmm. um, the report, you know, we we recognize that all, not all loads are created equally, right? Yeah, uh, you can have a small substation with a couple hundred kV lines wrapped up in the same category as a fourteen hundred ninety nine megawatt power plant, for example. Right. Um, <laughs> I think uh, uh, I think now people are starting to become aware that um, you know taking a small substation off the grid might not have the same impact. Uh, as a generator that uh, is swinging a steam turbine around uh, a little bit, um, <laughs> you know they they are definitely have different uh, different effects on the grid, and we we need to make sure that we um, we categorize them in in different risk buckets because of that. Um, so I start I think you're going to start seeing some categories show up of um, of ways to say these are in these are out. Um, Remote access, uh, remote monitoring at a generation facility, maybe one of those tick marks. 
Um, control centers, low impact control centers, that may be one of those tick marks. Um, yeah. So I think you're going to start seeing some of the components that are already in the SIP standards being utilized in different ways we haven't before. So we don't have to redo all of SIP2, but we can still move forward um, and, and categorize certain things at a higher risk than, than the stuff that really doesn't matter to the bulk electricity system as much. Okay. And I, I see that. that. That's really good insight. Because as you were talking about it, I was thinking about that study that was just done for the um, transmission control centers and it, their recommendation basically, in a, it, to shorten it all, I guess, to distill it down, is they're looking for some additional inclusion and exclusion criteria to factor in these, you, you know, I guess, circumstances that really were kind of bundled in earlier on in the standards that probably need to be broken out a little bit better. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, so something similar along those lines. Yeah, I I I agree. My my bet is on every time they FERC does something like this, they end up. I mean, this is almost one of those situations where it's you know, thank you for your report. We're still going to do whatever we want to do anyway. Um, <laughs> and that I, never happens. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, so I I I suspect that there will be a definite push into the lows and the mediums of that ARC in some way, shape or form. I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, wholesale. I do believe there'll be some granularity, like you mentioned, but it's going to happen to some of it, I think really in no uncertain terms. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I were a betting man, I'd, I'd certainly put my money on, um, you know, generation above a certain limit. I don't know what that is. Um, call it 500 megawatts. I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, but there will be some uh, some threshold there that they'll probably pick on, yeah. and then um, you know if you have if you have external routable connectivity, if you have remote monitoring, remote access, um, I think those are all check boxes that are going to get you that much closer to saying, yep, you got to have it too. Now, is this going to have another one of those unintended consequences where if they say, um, you know, if you have any sort of ERC, then everything applies, and therefore people start ripping out ERC, and we go back to you know, dial up modems and silliness like that. You know, uh, maybe a few years ago, but I think now um, there's too much value to the business for a lot of that data. Um, yeah. And it's it's really needed to, to do a better job of performing in the grid. And we see all the issues that we've had currently with generation not being available when we really need it. Um, so I, I think the pressures from the market will help offset that a bit. Um, I, I know that those conversations will for sure happen, um, you know, whether or not that's something that, that the utility, you know, chooses to do or not. Um, but I certainly would hope that they, you know, they don't rip stuff out that is actually beneficial to the business or to the, you know, the actual, um, uh, reliability of the grid in general, um, just to, you know, spite SIP. So, yeah, well, I've seen some that will, they'll spend more money to, you know, tow the, get their toes right up to the line of compliance than actually spending the money on like sustainable compliance. <laughs> I yeah. have seen some to do that. And th I've seen the one, their their argument in some cases has been because it staves off, you know, future problems. And I think maybe yes, but not forever. I mean, eventually they're going to find a way to rope you in one way or another. So I would say, go ahead and do the ERC, get all the business benefit, you know, get those robust network connectivity components in there, have the visibility into your environment and use it. I mean, I think they're missing a really big, um, operational benefit to getting this data in a lot of ways. I also security. think, yeah, well, the other thing, the other thing that may actually happen is there may be uh, not only the grants, um, but perhaps the vendors actually start showing real value to operators. 
yes. real value to the asset owners to say, you know what, it's not just about the security, but it's also about, hey, let me show you exactly what assets you've got, what you've got going. Uh, hey, let me show you all of the firmware levels that you've got across all of your devices. So the next time you see this alert come through, you can very quickly determine whether or not you've got an impact in your facility without having to send anybody anywhere to ask any questions. Right. Uh, you know, having a lot of that data collected and and, and available to you, um, showing you know, communication paths between devices. I think all of that stuff would be of a huge benefit. Uh, and, and if they don't cost a ton of money to implement, um, that'll certainly help push people, you know, towards that that goal. Um, but I know on the other hand, you know, I've had the real experience, I've had the firsthand experience of, you know, installing this stuff in generation facilities. And it is not easy. Right. Um, you have to plan this stuff out. You have to work with the vendors. You have to you know, plan it on, on outage cycles or, or even upgrade cycles if, you know, the switching mm -hmm. infrastructure isn't right. Um, and if you don't do that, then you spend even more money on an infrastructure just to bring the data back to a single point, which doesn't make any sense either. So there's a lot of, of problems here. Um, I don't I don't see this as being uh, extraordinarily helpful in small substations. Um, so it may, it may uh, entice smaller substations to isolate and you know, have single networks at, at each sub instead of, you know, a, a large ring where everything is on a single subnet. Um, so I think there could be some 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 of those types of ancillary gains um, just by people not wanting to perhaps put an internal network system or a security monitor in and say, you know what, maybe, maybe there's a fallback position. Maybe there's something I can do to increase my security without having to have that massive, you know, collection of data going through. Um, and maybe that's something that comes out of these requirements too, to say, you know, if you don't do this, then here's some alternatives and this is what you must do. And that'd be a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I'm, I'm also thinking just as, as I'm, we're talking about this, that there's probably a, I think a good lever to go to your executives and to even your plant, your, you know, your grumpy plant managers that never want an outage ever, um, to, to go in and say, look, the feds are making us do this. And it's also got a really good operational benefit. So we should go ahead and do this versus we should fight this in every way possible and actually spend more effort and time and blood, sweat, and tears to fight against it. Yeah, I, I see a lot more of the OEMs um, going towards this anyway with their infrastructure. So it's something a lot of places are getting now if you do an upgrade, but doing upgrades costs a lot of money. Um, yeah. And, you know, it take it does take an outage and outages are money. Um, so yeah. downtime, all that stuff, nobody wants any of that. Um, but maybe these, maybe these other benefits will actually, you know, help make that a little easier to swallow than, than just a, um, you know, oh, we're only doing this because NERC said so. Right. And I, I don't know, it, it's arguable, not, not, not guaranteed in every case, but it's arguable that in many cases, or even in most cases that this could actually improve the uptime so that in the future you have fewer outages. Yep. Yep. You can actually, uh, with some of these um, uh, technologies, you can actually see misconfigurations happening on your network. Right. Um, you can see why is that, why is that controller getting, you know, all this extra data that's being either blocked or ignored from these other devices? Oh man, we forgot last time we did the upgrade, we never removed that PLC from, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Right. So there may be some of that going on that could actually help you out too. And let, you know, make things less complicated. But again, that, that information has got to be brought forward into a, you know, a pane of glass that an operator will actually sit down, look at, pay attention to understand and find value in. Yeah. Which gets into a completely different discussion about how do we get security telemetry on their operation screens, but 
Maybe a discussion for another time. <laughs> it's not via uh, mod bus, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, no, not, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate the conversation today and uh, fantastic ideas, uh, analysis. Uh, always, always, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Patrick. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Ampere Industrial Security Critical Assets Podcast. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sources, so please like, subscribe, and share with your colleagues. Check out our other content, such as blogs, news, and more at AmpereSec.com. That's A-M-P-E-R-E-S-E-C.com. Ampere Industrial Security, securing your world.